0: There are millions of people that live with addiction in the United States and there are millions of family members that walk this life journey with them. But until I did this podcast, I had no idea the depth and the power of these relationships. And to be honest, I really did not totally know what to expect with this podcast as I was going to have a father who has struggled with alcoholism and mental illness and a daughter who has lived through it in the same room talking about their experiences. I wondered what they might say the night before the podcast. Would they argue, cover things up, or paint a rosy picture during the interview? It was not a pretty picture they painted, but more a picture of hope and faith in the power of others. Of being able to tell your story, and then maybe help others along the way. Such remarkable human beings. One in her 20s, and the other in his 50s. It is with great honor, I give you this anonymous podcast about a remarkable father and daughter team. The storyline goes something like this. The father has had a lifetime of struggle with mental illness and runs into alcohol addiction in his forties. This is kind of surprising to run into an addiction that late in life. However, as we hear, his addictive personality actually started years and years earlier.
1: So yeah, it started with uh, it started with food probably, um, but um, I, I'm addicted to almost anything. Um, I can eat uh, toaster strudel day after day after day, like a whole box at one time. Um, it's in the head. Addiction is a, is a mental illness. It really yeah. is. And if you suffer from mental illness to begin with, which I didn't, which I wasn't probably diagnosed with until I was 44.
0: So, 44 years old. So, you live 44 years not even
1: knowing what the heck it is. Yeah. And then exactly. kind of figure it out as time goes right. on. Yeah. I remember many times as a kid just being around almost all night because I couldn't sleep. Okay. So, kind of like anxiety early on. Yeah. And so, what, what, how do you get
0: into the throes of uh, alcohol?
1: And um, ironically enough, I worked at a liquor store too. <laughs> uh, in so, my lifetime, never drank. Yeah, never drank. Um, uh, I don't like the taste of alcohol. I use it as an emotional tool. Okay. I'm a suicidal binge drinker, but so what I'm um, um, diagnosed as. Okay. Um, the first drink I take, I vomited up, but enough of it has stayed in the system. It spread. Alcohol spreads through the system very quickly. Even if you vomit up the first drink, there's enough stayed in to get in your bloodstream. So I get drunk. Once I get drunk, I can drink a, a whole twelve ounce glass. So you kind of experience that increased
0: tolerance and be able to drink
1: a lot. Um, I already have a high high. To- I have. A, I don't get hangovers. Okay. Um, I can drink large amounts. Um, I have gotten. I have been known to drink one point seven five in a couple hours. Okay, not know it until later because I'm in a blackout. I drink to the point of blackout. That's where I want to be. Okay, because I'm suicidal, and I've been suicidal for my entire life.
0: So this kind of it sounds like struggle with depression. Yeah, depression response. and
1: anxiety, compulsive, <laughs> compulsive, PTSD. I'm sure my daughters are both PTSD. Okay, um, could be diagnosed because of what we went through. Not only my addiction, but um, my ex-wife's. Um, issues. Okay. So we we are divorced, so they, they come from a not only dysfunctional family, but a broken family.
0: I'm sure he didn't draw it up this way. His struggle with anxiety and depression at a young age. I'm sure he didn't draw up getting a divorce. And I'm sure he didn't draw up getting hooked on alcohol in his 40s. But why? What set it off? So how do you, how does your addiction progress? Because a lot of people sometimes that are listening want to know like, well, how did it like start and then how did it take off? And how did you recognize it? People always talk about, of course, the proverbial rock bottom and then kind of like figure Um, things
1: out. as As an addict, you're never cured, okay? You can arrest it, like cancer. It can be arrested. But it never goes away, you know, because you can't put it in a cell. You can't once you arrest it. You can't put it somewhere, and it never comes back. Yeah. Um, it can come back at any time. Um, we have twenty-four hours. That's all we got. Sometimes five minutes. Um, my addiction, if you will, I've always been addicted to something. Okay, my alcohol addiction started when I was about forty-nine, and that was because of my mental health issues okay and my um th- three things happened at one time my mom was killed in a car a free car accident okay I discovered that my marriage was broken and my work started to fail there were political issues that arose I was custodial supervisor and I, I got involved in dragged into political issues that I didn't feel were necessary
0: so those three things almost like the perfect storm yep. hits when you're like in your 40s
1: and well, then forty four It started forty four because I was diagnosed right before my mom died. Okay. Um, I was diagnosed like in gosh, uh, probably like August, September. the doctor said you're probably suffering from a depression. Okay. Um, December, my mom died. January, I got the official diagnosis from a psychiatrist. So it was it was probably over, you know, my whole lifetime I, I always wondered about it. Yeah. But I never um, had problems with drugs or alcohol. Like I said, I didn't drink. I got so you didn't drunk have on vacation. I got drunk uh, probably up to that point. I had been um, drunk probably three times in my life. Okay. But when I look back on it, I consumed large amounts of alcohol. Okay. When, when I you... did it. When I did drink.
0: So you didn't do any drugs either, then? You didn't get hooked on any drugs? Oh, yeah. You took... Oh, yeah, I've done drugs. Oh, okay. God. I've used
1: drugs. Okay. but I didn't have a problem with them okay I could be, leave them you know what I'm saying or I didn't have I didn't continually if you will you know to a point of like alcohol alcohol if I take the top off the bottle I'm done yeah I will just go and go and go, go and go. go so that is my addiction if you will I look at addiction I look at addiction more of like you can't stop once you start. Yeah, and when I talk, when when I uh, go to uh, meetings, um, or meet with groups, if you will, um, that's what I hear. Um, Is people who, um, once they started, they just kept going. Yeah, and it built and built and built until yes, they are maintenance drinkers. Okay.
0: So just to make sure I'm getting it, your story is really unique from the sense that. Um, you sort of notice, like when you're seven or eight, kind of. Even though we we kind of facetiously kind of laughed about it, like this addiction to potato chips, but it's really kind of like your awareness that wait a second, maybe I have some addiction potential. And then you suffer with anxiety and depression for like thirty some years, make your way through that. Well, manic too,
1: remember bipolar. Manic bipolar too.
0: Is there such a thing as a perfect storm? Could like a bunch of bad stuff happen to somebody and then cause them to drink and eventually get addicted? There had to be something to set it off. But you don't really feel like you're getting addicted to any drugs, you're not really addicted to alcohol, you're just kind of struggling through life. Mm-hmm. And then you almost have like the perfect storm hit. Mm-hmm. The three things happen, and then that's when you start drinking?
1: It was about five years after that. Five me.
0: years after that? Yeah.
1: So 40 because I Because I go through, it, it it went downhill, slowly. Okay, like I said, my mom died. I went to a psychiatrist. I, I dealt with, with um, leaving work for periods of time. I was seeing psychiatrists. Yeah. One psychiatrist told me he was done. Um, you know, he, he had done everything he could think, so please leave. That didn't help. Um, but what happened is, um, in our uh, society where I live, our culture, um, alcohol is a big part of it, and so um, I did drink on occasion, but I never finished it. You know, um, it, it was like a prop, you know, because everybody else around me would drink um, um, at home. This would be at home. Um, uh, for certain holidays, I would make a drink, and I would never finish it. Mm-hmm. So anyway, because within in our culture, um, birthdays, holidays, people give you bottles of alcohol. Well, because I talked about a certain drink, margaritas, um, people give me tequila. So I collected probably, I don't know, 20 bottles of tequila over time. And I just left them sit in a corner because I never really used them. Okay. I had to drink maybe three, four times a year. And like I said, didn't finish them. Well, anyway, because I was struggling with uh, depression too, um, uh, insomnia is, is part of depression. It kind of goes hand in hand. So, anyway. Um, I had heard over over my lifetime, if you have a problem sleeping, have a drink, that'll help. Um, I learned later, of course, you don't really go to sleep, you pass out. But uh, anyway, um, I started to empty those bottles uh, because I didn't want to be awake anymore. I couldn't stand being awake for hours and hours and hours just sitting in a room. It eventually got to a point where I sat in a room and I never came out of the room.
0: So really kind of like using booze to fall asleep.
1: Yeah. And then um, when I started, I didn't stop. I knew that I was addicted to alcohol or I was an alcoholic. As a matter of fact, before I started drinking, I should come home and say, if I was a drinking man, I'd be an alcoholic right now. Hmm. And I hadn't even had a drink. Yeah, you just kind of knew that. Um, I knew that if I drank, um, I would use it. Um, because of the society. You know? Yeah. And um, anyway, so um, I started to consume it. Um, my daughters and wife at the time um, noticed that I had started and that um, now, instead of being conscious in the room, I was passed out in the room. Okay. And when I came to, I drank again. Okay. I mean, it was this cycle of blackout consciousness, blackout consciousness. Okay. And then um, my wife at the time said she would like me to stop. But I said, okay. Poured the bottle down the sink. Or no, she asked me to stop drinking, and so I said to stop drinking, but I couldn't in my head. You know, I'm like, no, I love blackouts, mm. okay? Because right? I didn't want to be like I didn't have answers anymore, okay? In our so- society, we're expected to, especially as um, fathers and... Um, leaders in society were expected, in my lifetime as I grew up, you're expected to have answers all the time. You know, if you, if you have a problem, you solve it. And I had so many problems going on at one time that I didn't have answers anymore. Mm. And then it was this continual, this depression, this blackness. It was feeding it, too. You know, it was telling you, you need to have that answer. Mm. Old Demons, I call my demon, was telling me, you need to have that answer. Anyway, um, because of my wife's reaction to my drinking and telling me to get over my, my mental health issue because she had no idea what was going on because I wasn't doing what, I, what she wanted anymore either, um, I stopped. And then in my head, I'm like, okay, I can drink vodka because vodka doesn't smell. If you, do, if you consume large amounts of tequila, I mean, we're talking bottles. You're going to start, it's going to come out of your pores. Yeah. Okay? So, in my head, because I didn't drink, I'm thinking they say you can drink vodka. I saw people drink vodka at work. You know, they go out for lunch, drink vodka, they come back in. You know, I saw people do it in high school, you know, and they didn't smell. Well, yeah, if you only have like a drink or two, it doesn't (laughs) smell. If you drink large amounts, it's going to smell. Anyway, I went from uh, tequila to vodka and then continued the same process. Just me to stop drinking that, that's just fine. Then I had a seizure, hmm. my only seizure I've ever had um, because I was consuming large amounts. And um, I went to the, I, I don't know, you were at school, I believe my was at school at the time. Anyway, went to the hospital, um, came home, got in the car, drove to the liquor store, bought another bottle. So Kept truth. doing it. Yeah. Okay. Then um, I was in and out of mental health institutions, um, recovery, rehabs, um, um, detox centers, hospitals, just a cycle. Go come, you know, go drink, go drink, go drink, go drink. Matter of fact, a number of times I was told by um, nurses that um, I should be dead. My blood alcohol was so high that I should be dead. And I go, cool, when can I leave? I don't care Yeah. Um, and that's it's a deep darkness that yeah suicidal um, thoughts really kind of ch- following you for many many years um, I, I can remember, remember we're back in the youngest five going I don't want to be here I don't want to be in life so it's like that chemical depression really kind yeah. of taking over
0: and yeah. really chasing you down over the years With her father struggling in the darkness of depression, dealing with his addiction, and trying to still be a dad to his kids, his daughter had no choice, but she had to deal with it. But how?
2: Uh, I, was, I was a freshman in high school when I realized that there was a problem and that he was an alcoholic. And um, he, he, my dad mentioned a little bit about my, my mom and like her, Um, not being quite the the support system that she should have been so I thought that um, the responsibility needed to fall to me then as the oldest so I I would I would go he moved he moved out when I was 17 and I would go I would drive every day to check on him Mm. And I took on the responsibility of my sister, and I, I kind of grew up very fast.
0: <laughs> yeah, like a lot of like responsibility of checking yeah. in, making sure you're okay, that kind of accelerated your mm-hmm. maturity level.
2: And I, I looked around at other people, and I didn't know how to relate to them. Um, so I threw myself into school, and that's kind of how I think um, I dealt with it. Um, and then when I came to college, I'd, I thought that it, it was going to be this great fresh start. Um, I moved out, I moved into the dorms to try to uh, become, quote, normal. And it, it didn't work out like that <laughs> because I had taken on so much responsibility that when I tried to remove myself, um, my mom like fell apart because she was like she didn't she didn't know how to deal with with it because I was dealing with it and so I, I tried to remove myself but I didn't so I was constantly coming home and um, my I think October of my freshman year um, on my sister's birthday my dad had like you passed out or something. Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, and he went into a coma. And my they mom, put me in a yeah, coma, in medical they, coma. Yeah.
1: What had happened was I, know, I, I I was found unresponsive, and they took me to a hospital, put me in medical coma for a week. Oh. And uh, because they said when I came to, I was very, very um, active, if you will, they kept me in a coma. They never wound up why. I think it was lithium I was taking at the time. I had a reaction to lithium. Okay.
2: So I went back to school after this, and I went in my dorm room, and I'm like, what, what am I going to do? How? I just, I just want to be 18. You know, I just want to um, not deal with this anymore.
0: Struggling to figure out her own life and how to cope with her father's alcoholism, she was desperate. Then random circumstance occurred.
2: And I got an email. It was like, you know, a mass email from the AODA peer educators looking for people to do these programs on campus. And I've gotten
0: that same email as an instructor, so it's kind of interesting. I just saw it like two weeks ago, It's it's kind of like... Pure Educators.
2: And I said, you know what, why not? And I applied. And I got an interview, and I went in, and um, I told, you know, I explained, you know, why I want to do this about my dad. Um, and it turned out to be one of the best decisions I've ever made. I had never talked about my dad's addiction. I had never talked about what I went through. Um, and I used the AODA Peer, AODA peer Educators as, like, a, a platform, a he, a source of healing for me, and we, what we did was we went into dorms, um, I did stuff in classrooms, and I started, I started to talk.
0: So it had been kind of like, was it sort of like closed up inside? Yeah. You're just kind of in that, you know, wanting to take care of your dad, mm-hmm. make sure he's all right, you're kind of like in it, and then all of a sudden, maybe these pure, you see this pure educator opportunity, engage in it. All of a sudden, like, you're able to kind of, like, let it out yeah. and kind of talk about it.
2: Yeah, and I, I stayed in all four years. By the end, I uh, helped to revamp one of the programs. Nice. Uh, it It was, you know, it was, like, like I said, one of the greatest decisions I've ever made. And I, through that, I joined um, NCAA Champion Choices, uh, which was uh, in the athletic version of kind of AODA peer educators and I went on as like a non-athlete um, but I had a lot of experience with um, speaking in AODA and I did that my senior year and I was uh, the student leader of it and then I became um, certified. I was a certified peer educator now and I'd say talking about it is what helped me. I was in like a deep, dark place. And I, I bet if I didn't start talking about it, I would have had a problem with alcohol mm. myself. Just because you're, like, way more likely as the child of an alcoholic.
0: Yeah, we know it, it increased the risk. Yeah. So, so if we go back in time, like, you're, you're a freshman, mm-hmm. you're doing your thing like you've always done it, and then this one thing comes along, and you decide to do it, and it, I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but yeah. it almost sounds like transformational kind of thing. Yeah, it occurred is. like life trajectory change, mm-hmm. kind of thing, and then you just embrace it. Yeah, and talk. It sounds like talk more and more about it. So that's um, maybe a gold nugget out there for recovery nation. Just if you're out there listening, is you were not in the best of places freshman year. No, you were not. She was not in the. Mm-hmm. This is not a rose. A rosy story here, that, I mean, th- these people are struggling. She goes to college thinking, like, I'm going to get a new start, but she's in a rough spot. But she looks around her and takes advantage of that opportunity to reach out and get some support, maybe not really knowing where it's going go. I mean, were you nervous kind of the first meeting kind of thing, or
2: Yeah, I, I was deathly afraid of public speaking. And I so to she's a Public speaking job. It's crazy.
0: <laughs> crazy. That's how life is sometimes. So she's afraid to be a public speaker. She we all can relate to not wanting to public speak, but here we are, like years later, and it becomes completely transformational. So if you're in your twenties and you've lived the life you've lived, you face the heartache and the pain connected to your father's alcoholism, and mental illness and struggles. Could we glean some advice and wisdom from this young daughter? Let's say there's a woman or a, or a guy who just happens to be listening to the podcast or listening to your story, and they're in the same spot you are. What would you, what would be the, what would you tell them or encourage them to do?
2: Say so you're not alone. Um, the the responsibility of the world is not on your shoulders. Mm you're 18 years old like you do not have to have all the answers you do not have to um, have this perfect thing set up you do not have to um, drive down and check on your dad every single day you know you can do this but don't shut yourself off
0: like don't close yep. in mm-hmm. and just be alone with it yep. Because you'll probably keep doing it. There's people out there. You might have to search them out, um, but there's people out there that you can connect with, and hopefully, like you know, really feel support from that can really move you in a different direction in your life. Wow, man, I'm I'm blown away. You are very remarkable. You two are remarkable human beings. So what 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 a treat for us to have you here in the uh, studio with us. So what happens next? I mean, I'm telling you, people that listen to this, they're always like, "I want to know, like, all right, like, what, what's that? What happened that?" She's in college. Next
1: in term, uh She's in college.
0: Yeah, she's in college. Well, how old are you then? Or is are you still in the midst of addiction? Or are you? Oh, you I'm, I'm. I'm.
1: am still in, in the in, in the pit drinking. Yeah. Um, she she finished her high school career. Um in my drinking, I didn't go to her commencement ceremony, I didn't go to her award ceremony, yeah, because I was blacked out. Um, and saw—and that's another one of those things that roll in my head. Um, you know, I, I would like to tell people out there that deal with mental illness, too, um, that that's what happens. I understand that. You know, shit just keeps going in your head um, all the time. Everything. Everything that ha- happened will come back to you and it just rolls, it makes it really hard for you to meet today if you're by yourself. And um, I am in isolation right now.
0: He has been able to get through it, but still struggles with maintaining a positive outlook. His mental illness is doing better, but this is and will be an ongoing issue. In some sense, the story does not necessarily totally have the happy ending I was hoping to give you. would have liked him to have had that magical coming to Jesus moment, and he lives happily ever after and recovering without depression. But oftentimes in life, this is not the case. He has to continue to work at it, he has to continue to have faith and hope. He is not giving up by any stretch and sees himself as conveying words of wisdom and support to others in recovery. So the road, what's your road of recovery looking like? like? That's a tough road for a lot of people out there. It's a tough road to travel. It's, it's, it really likes to think like, oh, so-and-so got in recovery, and that was just like a straight line up, and they looked happily ever after. But we you know with life, man, life is filled with all kinds of ups and downs and way ups and way downs. So what did your road to recovery look like? Because there could be somebody just like you out
1: there that may right. struggle for The road health. to recovery is not gold, golden. <laughs> yeah uh, if you're running into something in recovery that tells you that life is wonderful, uh, I don't know if I can use the word a bit, but I will. It's bullshit. That's fine. Okay. they're they're lying to you or they're just having a good day. Yeah. you know I don't believe people when they say that. Um, it, because it is it's a, it's a daily thing. you have 24 hours. Um, I've slipped in recovery, you know um, but I keep going. You have to keep going. You have to find a way to get out. And it's very difficult. Uh, The very fact that I'm sitting here today probably is only because of her trying to make amends. To say that I hear you, You you know, I understand you. I told her long ago that I knew that she was a perfectionist. That's how she dealt with it because that was me too. So you can yeah, see you, some of that. Is that true that yeah. you could see that perfection side yeah. in yourself? Oh um, yeah, wonderfully. Yeah. So so yeah, she did. I mean, she graduated with high honors from high school, got many awards and scholarships to go to school, and yeah, she moved in by herself. So both of them, um, I believe, uh, carry the addiction gene. Both of them carry mental health issues. Okay, because my wife and I both do. And not only that, PTSD, obsessive compulsive, you know, all those things. It's passed on. You know, you can't get away from it.
0: Are we destined to be addicted if the addiction gene runs in our family? Research suggests that we are at risk, but not guaranteed. Maybe our risk is anywhere, depending on the study you look at, anywhere from 30% to 50%. But is addiction guaranteed? So what could I do?
1: Because if you can't be honest with yourself, you're done. Yeah, like, can, like, like my daughter said, she made, she got to that point where it's starting to lose it, and she grabbed out. She began to talk about it. That's the only way you're going to recover, is to talk about it.
0: So, so the kind of the irony
1: in this is that this idea of rigorous honesty
0: on your end was healing in a way to kind of climb out of the hole, kind of get your life back on track. And in some sense, almost the same thing went true for you, but in a kind of a different format. So maybe it was meetings or reach out to p- other people in recovery, Or for you it was this uh, college connection.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: No, the irony is, is that um, al- alcohol brought both of us to a point that, that we get to talk, okay? If I hadn't become a drunk, I'd probably be dead. You know if you will um, I would have found something or I would have continued on the road with alcohol yeah it is an ironic thing and I talk about this the media and, and other people agree with me if I hadn't become a drunk I'd probably be dead mm. somehow because of the mental illness half yes you see you, you have both if you will you struggle with both one feeds the other okay so yes and it's not just 24 hours You know, because you got those twenty-four hours that you got to get through. Okay, so it's one minute at a time. Sometimes, you know, can I do this? Can I do that? And you got to be gentle with yourself. You got to be able to say that you are not perfect. You do make mistakes. You made them today. You're gonna make them tomorrow. You can't. You you can't hang on to them. Okay, but with the mental health issues, yeah, that's where that's where you know it kind of bounces back and forth.
0: So yeah. so it really sounds like definitely, I mean, for people listening, you know, if you're struggling with anxiety and depression, there are ways to get help for that. I mean, obviously, there's counseling, there's treatment there's just support people. Some people even reach out to their church. Some people reach out to just a good friend. There's people out there, and making that connection is super crucial. And I think the other thing is some people just have anxiety and depression, in, um, in my experience, clinical experience, that they just have something chemically going on that actually the
1: only way it sort of balances itself out is with some medication. Okay, so they know this. They're beginning studies. How do you treat those people? And they found that these programs, you have to reach out to the programs, or like you said, just to reach out. But in in my experience around people, it's talking. It's opening your mouth. is
0: there something magical about just, like, opening up rather than carrying it on your shoulders and leave it wrap itself all around you and being on, like, some endless loops of, like, self-hate, anxiety, worry? Mm -hmm. And then when you, like, sort of, like, are able to get it out, there's oftentimes that magic of it begins to look differently or look differently. Like, hey, I can't believe I feel there's this, like, connection that has formed and I, I get a slightly different perspective on life. But isn't it hard to form connections with people? I mean, really, to open up about the most intimate details of your life and feel that connection. What if you're just afraid of saying the wrong thing or afraid of making a mistake? Um, I think I wrote a blog on it because I think it's like so crucial is this idea of making mistakes in life. I think all too often we are so conditioned, especially in the US, to have the answers to be perfect, to not make mistakes, and we spend all our time and energy guarding against ever making a mistake, and then maybe even shrink ourselves on some in some ways, like let our voice not be heard because we're afraid of like, oh, I don't want to say the wrong thing. And there's such tremendous power to this idea of like being okay with yourself and okay with yourself making mistakes. So I don't know if that resonates with either of you, but I I wanted to say
1: that and maybe try to get your perspective on it. Um, for me, in my experience, um, especially with the p- people that are struggling with uh, uh, trending <laughs> chemical amusements, as I call them, um, it's a day-to-day thing. It's never going to go away, okay? You're never going to live the perfect life. You're never truly going to be happy. Okay, I, 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 <laughs> I struggle with that. Happy people. You know how do you be happy about this? But um, yeah, it's that how do you how how do you how how do you become happy when you have all this shit coming at you all the time? Okay, and I am isolation too, and I don't have have a relationship. Okay, I'm not in a relationship. Um, I haven't been in a relationship for years, possibly, probably, my whole life. I lived with a woman. That's basically what happened. I wasn't truly married,
0: mm-hmm.
1: okay, and I didn't discover that like I told you until many years in. Okay, then I struggled with how to how do I answer that, yeah. and then I found out again by becoming drunk. That's the only way I found out. Okay, if I hadn't become a drunk, I would be dead. I'm 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 honest about that. You know, that's what would have happened okay because there was so much shit going on okay but the only way that you can the only way that you can get out of this possibly for the time being is to talk about it talk about it
0: somebody out there that might be in that struggling with like depression anxiety PTSD bipolar um, anything under the sun like that that's sitting in that dark spot and they've been in the hole for a long time that maybe there's some hope. Maybe one of the rungs or a couple of rungs on that ladder is that reach out to somebody, the best person you think could be supportive of you. And you're probably not gonna guess right all the time. And there's some people you might think every sort of they're not, but do not give up. I and mean, I think that's really the message that's coming through. Anything resonate for you about like being okay with making mistakes and it sounds like you've kind of traveled that road yep.
2: a little bit. Yeah, I Certainly, you know, six years ago, I would not have been okay making a mistake. I thought that uh, I needed to be perfect all the time. I needed to get straight A's. I needed to be involved. I needed to do, you know, A, B, C, D, and E to be the perfect person so that maybe, you know, he would stop drinking. Maybe my mom would be proud of me. Maybe, you know, it would would (coughs) fix it.
0: Yeah, like longing and searching for that, even on a deep, maybe even unconscious level, even. Mm -hmm. But that urge to be perfect, to be recognized. So if we realize making mistakes is okay, and we no longer have to hold ourselves to the world of perfection, maybe we could loosen up, enjoy life more, grow more as a person, and that maybe the mistake might actually be a doorway into a better life. I guess one of my questions was kind of bright moments or, you know, positive shifts
1: for you?
2: I think our, our relationship is a bright point now. You know, I did not, like I mentioned I got married in October. I, I had fully, you know, accepted the fact that, you know, my dad was going to be dead. He was not going to be there when I got married. And he walked me down the aisle, and I will never forget that. That is probably the best, you know, thing in the, in the past year, for me.
1: Wow. My bright moment would be that. That would be my only bright moment, if Walk, you Walking her down the aisle? Well, uh, uh, my da- daughter's accepting me mm. in all of this, okay, because I, I thought I was going to lose them, too. I thought I was going to be dead. You know, the person that's doing this, we've already accepted that, and we're in that madness. Now, like I said, I, 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 did, I am officially diagnosed as a suicidal injury. If you If you are that, you're going to, you have to accept that as part of your life. Mm. Okay? And that's your intention, too. Because you're paying, you, you think by dying, okay, that you paid a price for your sins. Okay? Oh, like that's like the sentence. The, 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 the wage of sin is death. Okay, for the biblical um, oriented out there, um, the wages of sin is death, and that was one of the main things that was the only I had when I was drinking. Was I committed all these sins over time? Mm. You know, by not being there for, you know, for for marrying this woman, for not being able to solve the problems of marriage, work, life, being a father. You know, all these things that I had to die. That I had to pronounce sentence on myself to die, and still do. I still struggle with that. Okay. And the good. only reason, and the only reason probably that I'm not drinking right now is uh, my dog and my daughters. Mm. Okay. You get those reasons but, to look for. But my one daughter's leaving, my other daughter's moving in, and she has issues. You know, we all have issues. No one lives a perfect life. You know, no one goes home I mean, at the end of the day and has done everything they're supposed to do, and done it right, and made it right with the world, okay? And so, um, uh, I think you you can't judge someone's outside. You can't judge your inside by someone's outside is what's said to you, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I sort of even go off that point, like sitting in class, you know, teaching for the first time these last two semesters, you have know, like forty some kids in the class or students and uh, range from freshmen to seniors in in college, but um, they come up and tell personal stories of how alcohol and drugs have affected them. And I am just floored, man. I'm just totally floored by some of the situations that some of these young people are dealing with. And you would never know it from the outside. They all sit down in class, they all play with their phone, and you could look at them all and size them all up and say yeah, uh, they're kind of the new millennials, they're kind of tuned out, and then you actually get to know them a little bit personally, you're like, OMG, I'm like, man, I cannot believe what you're dealing with, and you're showing up for school and doing your best. I mean, that is amazing.
2: That's how I got involved, talking in classrooms. You, you could do a current event, or you could tell a personal story. Yes. And um, I, I got up in front of my whole class and told this personal story. And uh, he, he came to me um, later and said, you know, do you want to you maybe with your dad come and start talking?
1: And that's one of the things that I did when I came back was tell her, because she had told me she was doing this, and that's what I did. I, I said, if I could help in any way, please let me know. And she yeah. came to me and she, she said, would you be willing to talk about it? With
0: me. Amazing. The courage you guys are off the charts, the courage meter. So kind of I mean, go in front and kind of tell your story so other people can learn and benefit from it. So what if life throws you a curveball? What if it just doesn't go the way you planned? Actually, maybe not even close to how you planned. What if a father and daughter initially divided by mental illness and addiction, could become a team, a team of voices for others. Any other, like, thoughts, tools, strategies that people listening could maybe benefit from? One, from if they're in addiction now, trying to get in recovery, or in recovery and kind of struggling there, or as, like, an affected family member. Like, there's a lot of people out there as well and I, I don't think that's talked about nearly enough i mean we always focus on, on addiction recovery but there are tons of people out there that suffer with this i mean my dad was an alcoholic himself and i don't think we ever hardly ever talked about it i mean it was just buried so yeah any helpful um tool, strategies things to think about for people listening out there having heard your story and i, think, I
2: think i've touched on this but just reach out I have had, I think, you know, why I keep doing this is, one, because it helps me, um, but I have, after, after talks, I have had so many people come up to me and say, you know what, I thought I was alone, you know, thank you, can, can, I, can I get in touch with you, can we talk, and, you know, that's why I do this, like, you just need to just take that little, little leap of, of courage and just reach out. Awesome. Know, find something that you're passionate about and follow it.
1: Thank you. I would like to underline that. That's the only thing. Reach you can do out. anything else and you'll be right back at it. Reaching out. Reaching out. Talking about it. Talking about it. Finding somewhere that you can go to talk about it. There are numerous places that yeah. you can go. But yeah, you have to. You can't stay inside yourself. You know, you can only store so much and then it's going to come out. It's going to explode. Data overload. Yeah. And so yes, I would like to underline that. Reach out. Reach out. Do you hear that everybody? Reach out. It
0: takes tons of courage. Some whatever courage you have and reach out to somebody who you think will receive you and obviously the most important support systems are the support systems where People can really listen, be non-judgmental, non-guilty, trippy, I call it. Um, But, you know, somebody you can connect with and really kind of uh, just get your feelings and thoughts out. Well, any um, specific resources either of you would recommend, like any books, blogs, organizations, things that you've come across for somebody out there listening saying, hey, wait a second, I want to make that first step. Could be a book could be a blog could be whatever oh but, by the way they both have you're only listening but these two have just absolutely just just warming smiles both of them so as much as says he struggles which I is totally legitimate he's got one hell of a smile that's all I gotta say so yeah any resource you can think of or Maybe even fa- I always like to know people's favorite books if they have one, even if it's unrelated.
2: Well, I'm I'm like a total bookworm. I have my own library, so like I just read everything into the face of the sun, pretty much. Um, I, I don't know if I use any particular resource, but I'd i see there's somebody like me who's going to college, and they're they're um, the the child's been alcoholic. Um, there are especially on a college campus, there are so many. You know ways to get involved, in in especially AODA things. It's becoming more acceptable to talk about. It's becoming more um, relevant, uh, just in the community. Um, just that, just that one little email that I sent out my freshman year, became endless opportunities.
0: So one is actually like interesting. It's one email. Yeah. Amazing. And then most people would probably, I think, naturally think. I think a lot of my therapist buddies would probably say this too which you know over the years you kind of like think about like the mistakes i've made as a therapist in terms of not probably not really meeting people's needs and making treatment more accessible more real for them so they can take advantage of it but you're an interesting story in that it was maybe not even necessarily going to i mean obviously counseling will help there's resources out there but you actually did it in an interesting way in that you became an advocate for others with your voice, which I think in all my years, I've never really heard a ton of that in the treatment world. I was talking about having people going out and like being advocates by telling their story um, and then helping other people, similar to what you were just saying, Bush, like reach out and helping somebody and helping Allie with her story and and trying to be there. So great resources, so like al I think of, um, and there's a lot of uh, great books out there as well. And we'll post some of those on, on, on our website, and by the, you know, next to the podcast. So, any yeah, any c- couple resources that could be helpful for people, helpful to you.
1: And you know, I have to uh, keep my anonymity. yeah. Um, we could maybe use the word meaning. <laughs> reach out to recovery groups. Um, reach out. Yeah. You know, find somewhere to go that is a group that you know or can, can connect with, if you will, by phone, email, whatever it is, that you say, I need to talk, and they'll, they'll say, I'll listen. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, and that's the best thing in the world for those out there that are working with this, the simple act of just listening. You don't have to say a word, just listen. Okay. Because I struggle with that when I talk Okay, I don't need an answer. Okay, I know there's not gonna be a, an answer. I learned that, there's no answers. You know, there's temporary solutions, but there are no answers, okay? So just a simple act of letting someone get it out. Get that bile out for, for now, for just today. Okay, because that's all anyone's got. It can end today, or it can, you would know, nobody's promised tomorrow. Yes. Okay, we don't know what's going to happen. Okay, we we only sometimes have right now what we're doing right now. I might walk out the door and get hit by a bus. But what can I do? I'm at, I'm working on a script right now, um, to be produced. I hope about this about mental health issues, addiction, um, divorce, you know, all these things. So they're really kind of challenge it. Yeah. So in a lot of ways, that's how you know. That's how I found to. Um, to work with it, okay? But again, realizing it's not gonna be permanent. Can writing
0: about our life experiences be helpful? Well, research shows that journaling daily or weekly can have health benefits. In addition, it can allow us to get our thoughts and feelings out on paper and give us the chance to reread it to get a better perspective. And in life, always remember, you never have to be alone. Always try to reach out to family members, friends, relatives, community support groups to get that needed support and perspective to get over any obstacles life might throw you. So I think there's smart recovery out there. There's AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous. Um, there's online meetings as well, and of course, you know your local counseling uh, counseling center or agency or clinic near you. You can always call them as well. Um, I'm always open to calls as well. Like I, I get calls all the time with people just kind of saying, "Hey, Ted, here's my situation. What would you recommend?" So I, I try to steer people to the right resources because they're reaching out and they're reaching out, and this could be a valuable time. Like you said, that one email. You know, this could be that one email that hey, I direct them in the right spot. They show up their life trajectory changes and that's what we're kind of shooting for just to support and help people you know with these difficult issues around addiction and recovery and everybody connected with it and i think pulling together similar i mean your your story of inspiration and hope that look at your relationship now it's a little different but at the same time there's a deep connection i can feel it in this room so with that i uh salute both of you and just absolutely um, and so grateful that you were able to come on the show and tell your story. So thank you. Thank you.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: <laughs> and wow, what an inspiring story from this courageous and inspiring father-daughter team. Special shout out to them, as well as an organization called Al-Anon, which hosts free supportive meetings in most communities, and these meetings are for people affected by others struggling with addiction. So a great resource to take advantage of. And of course, if you like what you hear, definitely post a review on iTunes, as this allows this podcast to be heard by more. Thank you for joining us today, and of course, keep rocking your recovery.
2: Hey there, Recovery Nation. Producer John here. This week's episode of Full
0: Potential Now was edited and produced by me with your host, Ted Isidore. This week's episode also featured original music by Lovely Socialite, Patrick Reinholz, and me, John Procruzzi, courtesy Other Obscura Records and corresponding artists. To hear the full tracks and more, visit otherobscura.com. And now for a preview of next week's episode with Dr. Joe Bluestein.
2: He maintained
1: uh medication assisted treatment by getting suboxone on the street for six months, and he was in his uh terms he was sta- you know he was stable and then this, uh, something happened to the availability of suboxone in the market so then and it, it was that fear of going through withdrawal that uh, drove him back to kind of using his uh, uh drug of choice and heroin and uh, and uh, uh, morphine.